Good morning, One Heart Church. It's so great to have you joining with us this morning. It's great to sing together and to hear the Word of God just together. Um, we're so grateful in this time of COVID-19 restrictions to be able to have technology that enables us to gather together even in this fairly unorthodox way. And it's great to have people who maybe never would be able to set foot in One Heart Church around Australia and even around the world joining us this morning. It's great to have you here with us. So my name is Kylie. I'm part of the team at One Heart Church. You know what? We'd love you to put a comment uh, on our Facebook page or even on the YouTube page just to say that you're there, not because we need the likes or anything for the numbers, but just so we can connect together. Even if you pop down your names, um, who's watching in your household, that'd be great this morning. So what we're going to do today is just read through the second book of Corinthians. It's called 2 Corinthians or the second letter to the Corinthians. And um, just before I do that, I'm going to give you a little bit of background to the Corinthians or the church and the people in Corinth. So the place of Corinth is um, at the time of this letter it's about 55 or 56 AD um, it's a really exciting place to be Corinth it was a seaport town um, it had been an ancient city a long time ago and then it was totally decimated and now it's been rebuilt so it's less than 100 years old it's only sort of 90 years old they don't have this sort of ancient aristocracy or anything like that. Uh, it's a you know, new generation of people. There's uh, Roman people, it's a Roman city, and there's Greek people, and people come down from Asia. So it's really multicultural, uh, multi-religious, and because it's Roman, it's a fairly decadent city as well. Um, it's on a port, there was lots of commerce. Uh, really quickly, they're able to get news. Uh, of course, this is in the time before newspapers and before the phone and the internet and things. So they had boats going out all the time, a huge influx of sailors coming in and out all the time. They got a lot of news. People are referred to it as like New York. So it's this buzzing city with a really esteem individualism and um, prosperity and, um, you know, culture. Uh, so that's the city and the society that this church in Corinth uh, is nestled in. And uh, most of the people in the church in Corinth are actually new Christians. So there were a few people who were Jewish and they had obviously the background of, you know, the stories of God speaking to Abraham and to Moses and leading the people through the Red Sea and all that sort of thing. But most of the church are people who are brand new Christians. So they didn't grow up in a Christian church or anything. This is first generation Christians, just 20 odd years um, after the cross and resurrection of Jesus. So in the church of Corinth, just like in their culture and their society, there are some leaders in this church who, well, they're pretty cool. And the people of Corinth, Corinthian church think they're pretty cool. They are charismatic. They're really powerful speakers. They're influential. They're, they're um, you know, uh, just really cool. And they are called super apostles by the Corinthian church. So the Corinthian church, they love their super apostles. And they start to look at Paul. Paul was the one who founded the Corinthian church and led them all to learn about Jesus in the first place. But now in comparison to the super apostles, they're looking at Paul and they're thinking, you know what, Paul's not really that cool. Uh, he's timid when he preaches. He's not really charismatic. He sort of comes, he says, in fear and trembling uh, when he preaches. And uh, historical documents that tell us that maybe he was pretty ugly. He seemed to have this big mono brow. He was losing his hair, big nose. And so 
And they're looking at Paul and thinking, why should we be listening to Paul? Why should we be listening to this guy who's had so much suffering in his life? They're looking at the super apostles and they're thinking they are rich and powerful and influential and and, um, charismatic and amazing speakers. They must have the power of God in their lives. Look at God's power moving so powerfully in their lives. And they look at Paul and they're thinking, Paul... You have suffered so much that we can't see any sign of God's power in your life. And so this letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, is Paul, he's encouraging the church and he's speaking with them, but he really wants to correct that misunderstanding, that they are just looking at the appearance and they have this thinking that, that a successful outer appearance means that God's blessing them, which is not necessarily true. And they equally think that suffering is a sign that God isn't present, which is equally untrue. So let's read together. We're going to start in chapter 1 of the book 2 Corinthians, just reading at verse number 3. All praises belong to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the Father of mercy and the God of comfort. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Now that word mercy, the Father of mercy, in Greek, it's a really beautiful word meaning tender-hearted, compassionate mercy. It's a really intimate word tender-hearted, compassionate, merciful God. And this word comfort, the God of comfort, means to comfort, to encourage, to exhort, to intimately urge and encourage, to console. So this is talking about the Father of tender-hearted mercy and the God of endless comfort and consolation. And what I want to ask you today and what I want you to ask yourselves is, is that how you know God today in your life as the father of tender-hearted mercy towards you and the God of all, the source of all your comfort and encouragement and consolation? And you know, we only need to look to Jesus to know that that is the true nature of God. We look to Jesus, he's He's the Lord of all. Everybody wanted to know him and, and be with him, and yet he just tenderly calls children. He says, don't, don't stop the children. Let the little children come to me. And he had compassion on the crowds. Over and over through the Gospels, it says he had compassion on people. That's why he healed them. He had compassion on people when they were hungry. That's why he did miracles. He did the miracles of the loaves and the fishes because he just felt compassion to the people and he just wanted to feed them. And mercy, we only need to look at the cross. Jesus On the cross, he is up high, nailed to the cross, looking down, and he could probably see, you know, that guy is the one who was torturing and beating him, that there's the guy who nailed his hands and feet, those are the ones there who held him down while he was being nailed there. And as he is dying on the cross is when he's looking down at those very men 
And his heart is just compassionate and tender-hearted mercy towards them. And he's, he's crying out for their forgiveness. He says, Father, forgive them. So we know that that is the nature of God because we see that in Jesus. And if you need encouragement today, if you need consolation, I mean, it's a crazy time in the world, isn't it? There are people who are, you know, at home just lonely, unable to reach out and connect with people like we normally are. There are people who have who have lost their jobs, who are stressed about money. Um, there are people at home just going balmy because their kids have cabin fever and they're not doing the homeschooling like they're meant to be doing. There are people who are sick and, of course, people who... Um, you know, your family members are sick or your friends are sick and you're not able to reach out to them and, and be with them in this time. And then conversely, we've got other people who are working massively overtime and who are, who are just uh, significantly overworked more than usual. So whatever is going on for you today, I just want to take a moment to urge you, if you need encouragement, if you need comforting, if you need consolation, and if you need mercy, that you can pray to Jesus. This community in Corinth were brand new Christians. None of them have grown up in the church. They didn't know any special prayers. They, they didn't know the Bible. They didn't, they didn't uh, have any special rituals. They just knew the name of Jesus and the Bible tells us that all we need to do is call on the name of Jesus. So it doesn't matter if you've never even prayed before. If you need comfort and encouragement and consolation, then I, I want to tell you today that you can just pray to Jesus. Just say, Jesus, help me. And we believe that he hears every single one of our prayers in his name. So the people of Corinth, they were looking at these guys. They were rich and exciting and powerful. And, and they were saying, you know, we can see God's power here. But Paul, in, throughout this whole letter, he's saying, that is not our model. That's not who we model our lives off, on the people who on the outer appearance appear successful. Jesus is our model. We are being remade into the image of Jesus, who is the image of God. And Jesus is called the man well acquainted with sorrow. A Christ-centered life is a cross-centered life. We're not ashamed of the cross and we're not ashamed of suffering. Because in Jesus, on the cross, like we've just celebrated at Easter, there's the hope of the resurrection. And we know that even in our suffering, we meet God there, the God of all comfort, the Father of all consolation and encouragement. So Paul, 
He really wants them to get this. He really wants them to understand at Corinth, at, the, at Corinth that it is just part of our lives when we suffer. And when we have suffering, it doesn't have to give us a loss of faith. We don't have to lose our faith in God's goodness. It can actually draw us closer to God and have a greater faith in Jesus. So let's read together verse 8. Brothers and sisters, he says, you need to know the severe trials we experienced when we were in Western Turkey. All of the hardships we passed through crushed us beyond our ability to endure. And we were so completely overwhelmed, we felt we were about to give up entirely. It felt like a death sentence written upon our hearts, and we still feel this to this day. The, the original Greek translation, what Paul was writing, is really emphatic about this. He's saying it's exceedingly, completely, crushingly overwhelmed us, way beyond what we could, what we could possibly hope to deal with. We thought we had a death sentence, this verdict of death written somehow inside us, and that's all there was for us. But that does not cause Paul to lose his faith in God. This is what he says next. It has taught us to lose all faith in ourselves and to place all of our trust in the God who raises the dead. That word trust in the Greek is a very strong word. It's this total, one over, convinced, convicted, reassured, assured, totally confident. That is the faith that we can have in the God that raises the dead in Jesus. You know, in Port Lincoln, we have this thing called hard water. I never heard of that before I came to Port Lincoln. But we have this thing called hard water, which means we have a lot of mineral content or calcium or something in our water. And basically our water just wrecks all the pipes if you don't do something about it. So at our house we have a water softener, which means that we get massive bags of salt and we pour it into this contraption and it does something like osmosis or something and it uh, softens the water. So the water's nice for our hair and skin and things and the pipes, I guess. So Mike and I, my husband, were at the supermarket and then we went to Bunnings and we got these big bags of salt. Every few months we have to pick up these bags of salt. The bags of salt are like 25 kilos, these big ungainly bags of salt. And they were in the back of the car, in the boot. So Mike had gone in and he had taken the rest of the shopping in it and I thought, I'll go get the bags of salt. Oh, I can do that. I'm super strong. I went out there. Now the car is very low, so I had to, you know, it was kind of a weird angle and the the bag's just this massive rectangle um, kind of slab of salt. It's like 25 kilos. I probably feel like I could, if I could hold it up, I could hold it. Let me stop trying to justify myself. I'm just a weakling. I couldn't get the bags out of the car. So when my husband came out of the house, um, I'm standing there and I was like, you know, dude, you'll have to get the bags out. I can't actually lift them up. I'll probably hurt my back or something. And he, for a wonder didn't mock me. He came out, he was like, yeah, I, I know. I, I came out because to get the salt. I wasn't expecting you. Like, I didn't ask you to. I wasn't expecting you to pick up the bags. They're way too heavy for you, you know, babe. It's okay, and I'll get the bags. That's why I've come. So he, you know, gets one bag and chucks it up here and gets the other bag, and he's carrying them both on his shoulders easily, and he's like, come on, and we've, I followed him into the house. 
And just then I had this really strong sense that Jesus was showing me something with these heavy bags of salt. That when those things happen in my life that threaten to completely, exceedingly crush and overwhelm me, when those things happen in our life that feel like a death sentence, Jesus is not standing back, folding his arms, mocking us, laughing at us. Ha <laughs> ha, she's too weak to pick up that, uh, you know, she it's too heavy for her, she can't pick up that thing. No, he, Jesus rushes in. He rushes into us. And he's saying, I never asked you to pick up that heavy weight. I know it's too heavy for you, and that's why I'm here. Because he is strong enough to carry those things. And it is such a relief, and it is such an encouragement, and it just is such a joy that we're able to, when those things in our life are too heavy for us to bear, that we are able to call on the name of Jesus and know that he will carry those things for us. He says, my burden is light. Just follow me. We can finally come to that place like Paul did, where we let go of all this faith in ourselves and place all of our trust in the God that raises the dead. So the people at Corinth, lastly, the people at Corinth have these super apostles and they are braggers. They're bragging all the time. You probably know the type of person. And they're bragging about all the wonderful things they do and all their credentials and how great their past is and everywhere they go, how awesome they are and the amazing miracles that happen wherever they go places. And the people at the church of Corinth, the Corinthian church, start to think about Paul and they're saying, well, Paul... Who are you to tell us about Jesus? They demand proof of Paul, of Paul's credentials. Listen to this. In chapter 3, Paul basically answers them by saying, guys, the proof is in the pudding. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Paul saying, do you really need letters of recommendation to validate our ministry? Do we really need your letter of endorsement? For your very lives are our recommendation letters, recognized and read by everybody. And as a result of our ministry, you are the living letters written by Christ. These guys, Paul's looking at these super apostles who are talking the talk, and he's saying, yeah, but where is the fruit for all their fancy talking? Where is the benefit for all their talk? And he points to his own life and he says, look at the fruit. There was no church in Corinth. There were no Christians at all until Paul went there. He moved there. He got a job as a tent maker. He lived there for a year and a half. After work every afternoon and every weekend, he would just go out to the places and tell people about his faith in Jesus. And even though he appeared to be a suffering man and his preaching was timid and um, didn't use any fancy words. The fruit of his ministry is that hundreds and hundreds of people came to know and have hope in and changed lives in Jesus for generations to come. So Paul tells us, don't look at the outer appearance. 
look at the fruit. So I want to encourage you today that, you know, we always think that God's power, when God's powerfully moving, that it's exciting and amazing and flashy and showy and, and, and everyone can see it and it's loud. And, and God's word through Paul to the Corinthians, through his own suffering, through the whole scriptures from start to finish, God is saying over and over again, look again. God's power is shown in our weakness. God's glory is shown in the still small voice, in that gentle breeze when Elijah was waiting for the presence of God. The most amazing thing that God has ever done for us is in Jesus' suffering on the cross. When he wiped away our sin and and wiped our slates clean, And then a few days later, later, the most amazing, the start of the new redeemed creation is in the silence of the empty tomb. No fireworks and flashy noises, just silence. Mary thought Jesus was a gardener. He appeared so ordinary on that day when he rose again from the dead. So you might be thinking in this time of coronavirus when everyone's just waiting around at home, where is the glory of God? Where is the power of God in my life? Or maybe you're working and people are just not coming into the shop. You're thinking, where is the power of God? Or maybe you're not well yourself. Or you're just going nuts with all the kids at home. I want to encourage you through this word to look again for God's power. Paul says to look at the fruit, not the outward appearance, not even at the appearance of suffering. And you see, we see the power of God moving in the fruit of the Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit has been moving when we see the fruit. When we see a mother whose children have just total cabin fever and she's able to take a minute and take a deep breath and then answer her children patiently. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. We know that God's Holy Spirit is moving in her and in her household. When a husband is able to humble himself and fight for the marriage and not just fight to win that argument, we know that God's Spirit is moving in that household. The fruit of the Spirit is humility. When we're able to speak generously and kindly to people even though they don't appear to observe it even when they're lashing out at us kindness and goodness is a fruit of the spirit when we're able to bring joy and to bring peace and to find peace and to endure suffering those are fruits of the holy spirit the holy spirit is moving in your workplace moving in your households and families and moving in your own hearts so let that be an encouragement today even moving in our suffering we don't need to look for the outer appearance of being super apostles or super super christians just look for the fruit and you'll find the spirit of god is moving in our lives today So let's just pray together to close. I would love to be able to pray for you. So wherever you are right now, if you're on your phone or in your lounge or on your laptop or TV or even on the podcast, just, uh, just, you know, take a moment and let me say a prayer for you. You can close your eyes if you want, bow your head if you want.
And I want to pray, Lord Jesus, for every person listening today, no matter where they are, who they're with, or when they're listening to this, I know that you are with them right now. And I just thank you that you are the God of all comfort, all consolation, and all encouragement. Lord, I pray for those people who feel lonely, that you would comfort them and bring them your friendship. I pray for those people who have lost jobs or who are stressed about money. We pray for your provision in their families, Lord. We pray that you would protect their families and that you would give them peace. We pray for those people who are sick, Lord Jesus, that you would comfort them, bring your consolation and bring your healing. And we thank you, Jesus, for all those people who have never even prayed before, but they're calling on your name today, that you are the God who answers us. And if you would like to say a prayer today and you, and you don't know what to say, or if you want to invite this God, maybe you've known that God is, as the Corinthian people did, you've known he was a God of justice and an almighty God, but he always seemed to be so far away and so grand and so far out there. And today you want to know him in friendship as this intimate God of consolation and comfort, then I'm going to invite you to say a prayer with me today. So coming up on your screens right now, you'll be able to see a prayer. Why don't you just pray that with me? Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross and rose again to forgive my sins. I ask that you forgive me and I give you my life. I invite you to be my Lord and Saviour. Today I am born again. I trust my future into your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Look, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time today, we would love to make a connection with you and speak with you about that. Or if it's been the first time in a long time, you can put a comment or contact us through the messenger um, on our Facebook page. You can click on the contact us and send us an email through the website if you like as well. Or you can look up One Heart Church online and and send us a message uh, on the telephone. Thanks so much for today. Um, I pray that you have a great week. God bless you and we look forward to seeing you next week on Online Church.